On the screen, I have a photograph of the state dinner at Buckingham Palace. If you're a state dignitary or official, you may get invited to this very opulent event, arguably the most storied and historical, rich in tradition dinner that you can ever attend. I read an article about the preparation that goes into one state dinner, and I quote from the article, a state dinner visit is planned 12 months in advance. The guest country is chosen by the government. The team start preparing four months in advance, polishing the 5,500 silver gilt pieces and the 2,500 glass items. Can you imagine that? Two weeks Ahead of the opening of the exhibition, the staterooms are a hive of activity. Trays of Stourbridge glasses made for the Queen's coronation are being carried up from the glass pantry. 18th century porcelain is being polished, and a member of the household staff stands in the middle of the ballroom steaming the linen tablecloth goes on, more than 2,000 pieces of cutlery tableware plus 23 centerpieces, all part of the 4,000-piece grand service bought by George IV 200 years ago, glimmer under the lights. How'd you like to be a part of that staff getting ready for that dinner? I can not even imagine the anxiety and stress of the organizers for this event, and I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, as we look at another dinner hosted by an individual that is full of anxiety as she is hosting the most important person in the universe. We pick it up in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. We're familiar with this story. Mary and Martha are hosting Jesus in their living room. I'd imagine that Martha has gotten out the finest tableware in our home when we were growing up. Those certain Wedgwood china that was only brought out for certain occasions. And there were certain foods that were only prepared when we had a guest around. I really look forward to those moments. And so Martha is busy in the kitchen getting things ready. Jesus is sitting in the living room. And the story goes, as Martha is in a frenzy getting things ready for her honored guest, that she notices that Mary, her sister, is just relaxing enjoying the company of Jesus. She's getting frustrated, angry, and she marches into the living room. We pick up in the story in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? Notice that she doesn't go to Mary to to try to get her into the kitchen. She tries to use Jesus as leverage, and she's not only frustrated with Mary, she's frustrated, by implication, with Jesus for allowing this inconsideration. She marches in there and says, Martha, 
Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Martha's a choleric personality. You can just feel it. She's telling Jesus what to do. Tell her to come and help me. That was an awkward moment. Social dynamics here. Therefore, tell her to help me. And the story goes on in verse 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Jesus takes Mary's side. We don't know how Martha responded, but I would be tempted to just, in a huff, say, oh, is that right? Go back to the kitchen and perhaps even passive-aggressively say, well, I guess I'm just going to slave away in the kitchen by myself. What a peculiar story. And the lesson that we want to focus on from this interesting dialogue between Jesus and Martha is that the thing that Jesus treasures the most are not the things that we do for him. The thing that Jesus treasures the most is the time that we spend with Him. Now, this does not minimize service. But if we were to look at Jesus' statement, Jesus places a higher priority on being than doing. Now, we live in a very pragmatic society, and we place higher value on doing more than being. Isn't that right? Because doing is quantitative. You can measure it. You can analyze it. But being, how do you measure that? Here's a statement from Frank Barker. The times I have overworked and made myself and everyone else miserable has been because I needed people's appreciation or their pity or their admiration too much. I was trying to prove that I was worth something by my hard work. But when service becomes a pain or a means of personal gain, then the service needs to be curtailed for the sake of the higher good of resting in Jesus' presence. God wants you to be his beloved, not his beast of burden. Amen. Service flows out of being in his presence. I want to read another statement here from John McKenzie. He's a missionary to China. Don't be unwise enough to think that we are serving God best by constant activity at the cost of headaches and broken rest. I'm getting to be of the opinion that we may be doing too much. We want at least this is my own want, a higher quality of work. Our labor should be to maintain unbroken communion with Jesus. Then we shall have entire rest and God abiding in us. That which we 
will uh, do will not be ours, but His. This whole notion of being in His presence. I read another statement from A.W. Tozer. It said, for ministers, the greatest thing that keeps us from spending time with God is doing ministry for God. Preaching to ministers. When you think about it, (laughs) I'm just being vulnerable here. In pastoral ministry, we know our theology. We do a lot. But the part that many times is lacking is the being part. The being in God's presence. And Psalms 46, verse 10, we know this. It says, be still and know that I am God. Just to be still in His presence. Easier said than done. I just came back from three weeks at Andrews University in taking classes, doctoral ministry program, and I was expecting for three weeks to be sitting in a lecture for eight hours a day. We did have some lectures, but the majority of the time, it was an experience that just was very different than I've ever experienced before. I feel like I just came back from pastoral therapy. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about the journey through the seminary and undergrad. I was telling our Sabbath school, one of the things that we are trained to do, and it's really hardwired in our brain, is that when we open the Word of God, we are trained to analyze it. We call it exegesis. Exegesis is something that is paramount, and I I'm not discounting its value, but exegesis is a very left-brain endeavor. It's analytical, and when I open Scripture, just because of all the training, I open it, and it's just all analysis. That's, that's what you do when you do exegesis. And uh, just to be open here, after doing exegesis and preparing for the sermon, and after Sabbath, I wake up Sunday morning, and I open the Bible, and my emotional association with Scripture, it's like work. Are you following me? I'm talking about the emotional association. It reminds me of the pianist that was a professional, and that's how he made his living. And when you go to a birthday party, someone would be like, hey, can you play the piano? And he's like, oh, that's, that's my occupation. That's my work. And I had gotten so analytical in analyzing Scripture, and I got to the place where I sincerely wondered what it would be like to meet Jesus face to face, because my association with Him had become, in my years of ministry, so left brain and analytical that I imagined meeting Jesus and it being a little bit awkward face to face with Jesus. I mean, what's the conversation going to be like? Thank you, Jesus, for the soteriological framework that you established in Scripture in regards to justification, sanctification, and glorification. That was profound. Thank you. But there, there must be something more than that. And so the professor, he began 
by saying this, and I wrote it down. It just was so profound for me where I was in my Christian experience. The greatest thing that we have to offer our people is not our education. I thought to myself, then what am I doing here? (laughs) Not our education. It's not our good ideas. It isn't even our gifts and abilities. Listen to this. It is the fruit of the time we have spent with the Savior. The utterly unique and unparalleled thing that happens to us when we are simply in His presence. Wow! So you know what He did? He said, you know, I want you, we're going to stop right here and I want you to take your Bible and go off by yourself and be still and know that He is God. He gave us these cheap journals from Walmart, these spiral-bound things, and He said, what I want you to do is when your brain starts analyzing, hold that part back and engage God emotionally. I don't know why I didn't... It's, it's unfortunate I have to get to a doctoral program to get this. And I want to tell you, friends, that as I engaged Scripture emotionally with my right brain, the personal God, that... I came into the presence of seeing how beautiful God is as a person, not a concept. And friends, this is where the battle lies, the ground of everything else, our service, our worship for Him, flows out of this experience. J.I. Packer said this, we must not lose sight of the fact that knowing God is an emotional relationship as well as an intellectual and volitional one and could not indeed be a deep relationship between persons were it not so. The Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. This is all of us as we engage with God through Scripture. And the challenge for Christians is, God is initiating a desire, a relationship with us, and the challenge is that we are so frenzied, frazzled. Isn't that right? In ministry doing good things, but God is calling us to stop and be still in His presence because there is a divine something that happens, many times unconscious, in that divine communion with God. Just so you know that uh, this is not just we out there left field stuff when we talk about engaging God with our right brain. This is from Thoughts on the Mount of Blessing, Ellen White, page one. This is how she said we should read scripture in relationship to the Sermon on the Mount. Look at this. Let us in imagination, that's right brain, friends. Let us in imagination go back to that scene and as we sit with the disciples, 
on the mountainside enter into the thoughts and what? And feelings that filled their hearts, understanding what the words of Jesus meant to those who heard them. We may discern in them a new vividness and beauty and may also gather for ourselves their deeper lessons. This is very right brain. Let us in imagination go back to that scene. What are the thoughts and feelings that are taking place there? And as we do this, we come to interact with the beautiful God of Scripture. It becomes personal to us. There was a conference president that stood up and gave his testimony, former conference president, and he was conference president in a division that is not in the United States. Things were going well. Ministry was taking off. Conference had turned around. And one weekend, he was walking with his wife on the beach. And he said, honey, I have something I want to tell you. And she said, oh, what is it? And he said, ah, oh, n- never mind. I, it's, it's, it's nothing, really. She said, no, no, please tell me. And he said, honey, um, things are not right between me and God. And he said that they just walked in silence for about 20 minutes. And he's beginning to wonder, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said anything. Here I am, a pastor, a conference president. I've just admitted to my wife that things are not right between me and God. And, and then she turned to him and said, you too? They were both going through the same thing. And he said, look, we were having our devotions every single morning. They were getting up and interacting with the text, but he said, look, I was having devotions with the Bible, but not God through the Bible. And this is the prayer that he and his wife prayed. And it's a prayer that I've incorporated into my morning devotional life. Father, would you initiate in us a deeper desire for you? Notice the language of this prayer. It is God-initiated. Would you initiate in us a deeper desire for you? And he said, look, as him and his wife did this, they would go apart to separate parts of the house and have their morning time with God and say, Lord, would you initiate in us a deeper desire for you that they met the personal and beautiful God of Scripture. This is from the book Education. It's a long quote, but I put it on the screen. Shared it in Sabbath school and prayer meeting, but I wanted to share it again. In the midst of this maddening rush, God is speaking. He bids us come apart and commune with Him. Be still and know that I am God. Many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. They are in too great haste. With hurried steps, 
they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps a moment within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for counsel. They have no time to remain with the divine teacher. With their burdens, they return to their work. They must give themselves time, notice what she says, to think, to pray, to wait upon God for a renewal of physical, mental, and spiritual power. They need the uplifting influence of His Spirit. Receiving this, they will be quickened by fresh life. The wearied frame and tired brain will be refreshed. The burdened heart will be lightened. Not a pause for a moment in His presence, but personal contact with Christ to sit down in companionship with Him, this is our need. We're not talking about a dry, analytical, conceptual interaction. We're talking about a dynamic, personal interaction with God. And the only way that that is facilitated is, number one, God initiates it, but with that God initiation, we must create space for that communion in the quiet place, in the secret place, in those moments alone with God. That is where we get our recovery. Now, there was a psalm that I was meditating on and it said that his words are sweet to my mouth. You remember that psalm? Like honey. And as I reflected on that, I came to the realization that my devotional life just being vulnerable here, had been more like Brussels sprouts. Now, if you like Brussels sprouts, I'm just saying for me. In other words, it's something that I did because it was good for me, not necessarily because it was something that I was like, honey, and through this process of recovery, I feel like, in engaging God with all of me, with my right brain, I want to say that it has become sweet. Amen? By the grace of God. Because the personal and beautiful God comes to view. How do we do this? Well, there's habits of engagement and habits of disengagement. And so, I just want to cover this very quickly. Getting alone with God. Now, there is a tension in this in our Christian experience. Jesus spent time in the mountain by himself and with the multitude. We need community. However, there is an aspect of the Christian life that we can only get through community and there's another aspect that we can only get alone with God. 
And we need to carve this space out. Now, some of you may be saying, and I'm about to realize this very shortly, with children in the home, like, just a house is, I can't imagine, but I soon will, just very interesting dynamics. Like, how do you get alone with God? And one mother of three children said, you know what, she was praying to God and saying, Lord, please initiate a desire for you. I want to spend time with you, but I don't know how. And so the Lord revealed to her and said, look, the bathroom may seem strange, but for her, it was the bathroom. And her daughter later said she always wondered why the bathroom was the nicest place in the house. Mother would shut herself in there, and the kids knew not to bother her in there. And this was her sanctuary in time, alone with God. It is God-initiated, but to carve out these moments and I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. I'm not a morning person, but I pray this prayer. I said, Lord, when you want to get me up tomorrow morning, I dare you to pray this. <laughs> get me up. And when I pray this prayer, it's like clockwork. I just wake up, I look at the clock, it's like 4 a.m. Now, there's a temptation to say, oh, just roll back over. But I said, all right, Lord, get out. Go to a place that is not associated with work, a place that you have that can be associated with your devotional life, and you spend alone time with God. It is God-initiated. This is the most important thing. Remember, sitting at the feet of Jesus, Mary was there, and Jesus said, this should not be taken away from her. This is the one thing. Everything else pales to a secondary status. We're not saying that service is not important, but service must flow out of being. Otherwise, we're just out there doing things. It needs to flow out of being with God, getting alone with God. This is the most important thing to Jesus. It's not the things that you do for Him, yes, but it's the things the interaction that we have with God each and every day in the quiet, in the stillness. He is there. Habits of disengagement, unplugging. And I want to say the cell phone is the greatest blessing in the world and the greatest curse. Somehow I feel tethered to that thing. The internet, the greatest blessing yet the greatest curse. I had a colleague of mine sitting next to me in class and he couldn't get on the internet and he was just like saying, oh, I'm going through withdrawals. I just can't handle this. I mean, we're so connected. We need to turn that thing to airplane mode. Put it away and say, Lord, speak to me. Unplugging, disengaging from the world and saying, Lord, just you and me. What do you want to tell me? And it's very simple. Get a devotional. doesn't have to be fancy. The cheaper, the better. That way you don't worry about messing it up and get a Walmart for 99 cents. Just a spiral-bound notebook. The question you ask is, Lord, get one passage. Lord, what are you trying to tell me? How is it between us? What attribute of God do I want to reflect on? What are you saying to me? And as you reflect, God speaks to us through Scripture. Quietness, an important aspect 
of our time with God. Be still and know that I am God. This is from Special Testimonies. Beautiful quote. When every other voice is hushed, when every earthly interest is turned aside, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. Here rest is found in Him. The peace, the joy, the life of the soul is God. Is God. Habits of engagement, very quickly, Bible reading and reflection. I like to use the term reading because study can have a more left-brain connotation, but this is reading Scripture with all of us our thoughts and feelings, and saying, Lord, what are you saying to me personally through this? And the other aspect of this is, is praise. There's a fundamental difference between thanks and praise. And when we equate praise with thanks, we are really minimizing and downgrading praise. Thanks is thanking God for what He does. Praise is praising Him for who He is. Now, if I were to go to my wife and say, Honey, thank you for a wonderful meal, I'm sure she would appreciate that. But if I were to go to her and say, Honey, I appreciate you because you have a tender heart. Ladies, which one would rank higher? Our relationship with God needs to transcend. He's calling us to transcend beyond the transactional. Have you ever tried to pray without T's and G's? What's that? Thank yous and gimme's? Ever tried that? Now, I'm not saying that transactional is not important. That's an important aspect, and the Bible brings out that we should pray thanks, and asking, all right? Sounds better than gimme, but, but you, know, you think about our prayers, and, and we're, we're courteous enough to start out with thank you, right? So this is how it goes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Gimme, 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 gimme. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Gimme, 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 gimme. You, you look at our prayers, and I catch myself all the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, gimme, 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 gimme. And purely transactional, A.W. Tozer says the gospel of transaction excludes knowing God as a person. Think about that. I'm not saying that transactions do not take place. They're important. We should think and ask. But the height of a relationship with anyone is appreciation, not for what they do, but because of who they are. That's the height of a relationship. And when we come in contact with the beautiful, loving God, that is when praise and worship spontaneously erupts. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven, friends. That's what our worship service can and should be here on earth. It is God-centered, so focused on the beauty of who He is that there's a spontaneous response of worship and praise because of who He is.
Prayer as conversation. Steps of Christ very quickly. Prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Keep your wants, your joys, your sorrows, your cares, your fears before God. You cannot burden Him. You cannot weary Him. Take to Him everything that perplexes the mind. Nothing is too great for Him to bear, for He holds up worlds. In this divine communion, we can talk with God. And our scripture reading, Psalms 27, verse 4, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And notice what he says. I have it highlighted here on the screen. Why does he want to do this? To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. There's that element where the psalmist David says, look, I just want to be in your presence because you're beautiful. And it's in this divine communion, this inner sanctuary, that we can find everything that our soul is yearning for. Amen? By the grace of God, let us have this experience. I want to read this statement again. When every other voice is hushed, when every earthly interest is turned aside, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. Here rest is found in Him, the peace, the joy, the life of the soul is God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a good and beautiful God, a God of love and tender mercy. And Lord, you are initiating in us a deeper desire for you. Father, help us, initiate in us a time, a place, a secret place in which we can have communion, none other than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I want to make a simple appeal today. If there's someone here today that with me wants to say this prayer by saying, Lord, may you initiate in me a deeper desire for you. Lord, it's your initiative. We want to ask this of you, that you would initiate a deeper desire for you. If this is your prayer, I want to just, in the quietness of your own heart, raise your hand to heaven by saying, Lord, initiate in me a deeper desire for you. Praise God. Lord, we know that you want to spend time with us, that you have everything that our hearts are yearning for, and we pray that we would be still and know that you are God. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.